You are now tuned into The Point, the radio show that explores the Bible, studies its meaning, and affirms your faith with solid Bible teaching. The Point is sponsored by Grace Point Missionary Baptist Church of Early Texas. Grace Point meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m. Grace Point meets at the Early Chamber of Commerce while their new worship facility is under construction. More information can be found online at pointtolife.wordpress.com or by mailing Grace Point Missionary Baptist Church at P.O. Box 3134, Early Texas, 76803. That's Grace Point Missionary Baptist Church, P.O. Box 3134, Early Texas, 76803. And now, with this week's study of the scriptures, here's Pastor Leland Acker. As we continue our study through the Bible, turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. We're going to read the entire chapter here. Genesis chapter 32. This is the chapter where Jacob gets his new name, and that new name is Israel, and he becomes the father of God's chosen nation. Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse 1, and Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim, and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob said thus, I have sojourned with Laban, and stayed there until now. And I have oxen, and donkeys, and flocks, and men servants, and women servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find grace in thy sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him, and the flocks, and the herds, and the camels, into two bands, and said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said unto me, Return unto thy country, and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant, for with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good, and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for the multitude." And he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother, 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milch camels with their colts, 40 kine and 10 bulls, 20 she-asses and 10 foals. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves and said unto his servants, pass over before me and put a space betwixt drove and drove and he commanded the foremost saying when Esau my brother meeteth thee and asketh thee saying what art thou or whose art thou and whither goest thou and whose are these before thee then shalt thou say they be thy servant Jacob's it is a present sent unto my lord Esau and behold also he is behind us And so commanded he the second and the third and all that followed the droves, saying, On this manner shall ye speak unto Esau when ye find him. And 
Say ye moreover, behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with a present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face, peradventure he will accept of me. So went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. This is a key passage of scripture because this is where Jacob gets his new name, Israel. When you talk about the Old Testament, you talk about nations. Nations were tribes of people that were named after their patriarch. And so when you have the nation of Edom, Edom was Esau's new name. And so Edom is the descendants of Esau. When you talk about the nation of Israel, Jacob was Israel. Jacob was renamed Israel. And so his sons became the fathers of the tribes of Israel. And so in the Old Testament, when you refer to Israel, you're not referring to a geographic location, a ge geographic country with a, with a geographic government. You're dealing with a nation, a, an ethnicity, a family of people named after their patriarch, which is Israel. And so this is where Jacob goes from being Jacob to being Israel. He goes from being Jacob the trickster, Jacob the supplanter, to being Israel, the one who wrestled with God and prevailed. And all of this comes from the fact that he wound up literally wrestling with God here in Genesis chapter 32. Now, to get us caught up on what's happening with Jacob, Jacob had been living with his uncle Laban in Haran, been living there for several years, uh, several years, a couple of decades, in fact. And he had gone to live with Laban to escape Esau's rage after he tricked him out of the blessing. And you remember that Jacob did a couple of things to Esau. One, he, he bought Esau's birthright for a bowl of bean soup. And the second thing that Jacob did to Esau was when Isaac was getting ready to bless the two sons, Jacob went in dressed up like Esau, knowing that his father, Isaac, was had bad sight, his sight was going dim, he was going blind. And so Jacob dressed up like Esau to trick Isaac into giving Jacob Esau's blessing. And so Esau was murderously angry after that. And so Jacob fled, moved in with his uncle Laban, wound up marrying Laban's two daughters, Leah and Rachel. 
Now, as he was running away from Canaan to Haran, you remember we discussed this a uh, few episodes back, how he laid down and he went to sleep, made a rock for his pillow, and he dreamt about the ladder that extended into heaven and the angels going up and coming down and the Lord standing at the top of that ladder. And the Lord at that point promised to bless Jacob. He said in Genesis chapter 28, verse 15, behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all way, in all places, whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land for I will not leave thee until I have done that, which I have spoken to thee of God promised to bless Jacob as he went to go live with Laban and God promised to bring Jacob back into his homeland prosperous and promised to bless Jacob in his homeland and to take care of him and to make him the father of many nations. Jacob married, fathered children, prospered, and now, just as the Lord foretold and just as the Lord told him, he's headed home. This is the journey that God promised to Jacob, and this is the homecoming that God promised to Jacob. But there are still challenges ahead. First of all, Esau is still alive, and according to Jacob's messengers, is coming out to meet Jacob with his own personal army of 400 men. Now, this is a scary situation because the last time Jacob saw Esau, Esau vowed to kill him. And so Jacob is coming back into his homeland with his servants, with his livestock, with his wives and his children. And he's injured, or he will be injured here pretty soon, but uh, he's got young children. He's got livestock. He's not going to be able to run away from Esau if something goes bad. Sends messengers forward to try to make peace with Esau. And these messengers come back and say that Esau is coming out to meet you with an army of 400 men. So Jacob now is pretty concerned because he knows that he is not equipped to fight Esau's army of 400 men, and he's not able to flee from Esau as well. And so at this particular moment, Jacob needs God's divine intervention, which God offers. But Jacob is still fearful. And as a result, Jacob found himself wrestling with God. And Jacob wrestled with God in his prayer life. You see this in Genesis chapter 32. He is praying. He is reminding God of his promises and asking God to deliver him from Esau, asking God to spare him, to save him, to bring him back into his homeland, prosperous. And he winds up toward the end of the chapter, literally wrestling with God physically. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today is wrestling with God. Like Jacob, we can find ourselves wrestling with God in a metaphorical sense, of course. We find ourselves wrestling with God when we are focused on our problems. We can also find ourselves wrestling with God when we don't trust God. And thus, we can find ourselves facing problems but at the same time, God has a way of blessing us through those problems. So let's talk about wrestling with God. First of all, we can find ourselves wrestling with God when we are focused on our problems. Let's begin in verses 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 32 here. In Genesis chapter 32, verse 1, the Bible says, And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. God, in the first two verses of this chapter, showed Jacob that he is with him. 
I mean, he does something unique. He reveals the presence that he has around Jacob, the forces that he has around Jacob. He literally shows Jacob the army of angels that surround him. And this shows that God not only supports Jacob's return home, but that God will protect him and get him home. Now, as I read this passage, I couldn't help but think about the passage in 2 Kings chapter 6, when Elisha is going to meet a hostile group of people as well. And you go to 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, Elisha's servant is nervous because the two of them are going out to meet somebody who could possibly harm them. And Elijah said, Elisha said in 2 Kings 6, 16 through 17, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. So in 2 Kings chapter 6, it was a similar situation. God's man was going to meet a hostile force. Yet Elisha wasn't scared because Elisha was guarded by God's angels. He saw God's presence, his protection, and he moved forward in faith. Now, in Genesis chapter 32, in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob sees God's armies of angels all around him. He meets the Lord's host. God shows him his angels that he has around him in order to protect him. Now, you'd think if that would happen, he would be like Elisha and he would go forward to meet Esau in faith, but that does not happen. We look in verses six through seven, the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to thy brother. And this is Jacob's servants telling him, we came to thy brother Esau and also he cometh to meet thee and 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands. Jacob had seen the multitudes of angels surrounding him. Yet unlike Elisha, Jacob isn't taking comfort in the presence of God's host. Instead, he is focused on Esau and his family. He is not thinking about the angels that God has out there to protect him. He's thinking about the 400 men that are showing up with Esau to meet him. Now, you think if there were a battle between angels and men, who do you think would win that battle? Well, Jacob's not thinking about that. He's thinking about Esau. He's thinking about Esau's vow years ago to kill him. And he's thinking about those 400 men that are coming out. He is focused on the problem. This is similar to Peter walking on the water. You remember that passage? Jesus was walking on the water toward the ship. Peter asked if he could come out and meet him. Jesus said, come on out. And Peter stepped out and he walked on water. And to Peter's credit, he got a few steps in in his water walk before he began to sink. And the Bible tells us that the reason Peter sank was because he saw the waves and his focus turned from the Lord to the waves. Peter turned his attention away from the Lord and onto the waves, onto his problems, and thus his faith faltered and he sank. And the Bible tells us that the Lord reached down and picked Peter up and got him into the boat and asked him, wherefore did you doubt? And this is exactly what Jacob's doing. He's got God's presence right there, but he's focused on the problem. How often do we forfeit the peace and security of the Lord? 
How often do we forfeit the peace and security the Lord intends on us because we are too focused on our problems? God intends on us to live in peace. God intends on us to be able to live in his blessing and to see his blessing and to enjoy his blessing. But all too often, we miss the blessings. We receive the blessings. God gives us the blessings. But we miss out on the blessings. We don't enjoy the blessings because we're too focused on the problems. God blesses us with a wonderful country in which to live, in which this is a prosperous country, one of the most prosperous countries that has ever existed on the face of the earth. We live in a prosperous place. And even those of us who are in the lower tax brackets, we enjoy luxuries unlike things that people overseas get to enjoy. We have food readily available for us. We have a seemingly endless supply of clean water to drink and to shower with and to clean with. We have air conditioning. We have uh, entertainment at our disposal. We live in a blessed place. But how many times do we miss out on all the things that are around us because we are too focused on our problems, our financial problems? Yeah, the country around us may be prosperous. There may be a lot of great things, but our bank account is at zero. And how often do we sit there and sulk over our zero balance bank account as opposed to going out and enjoying those things which are free? One of the things I've discovered here recently is is disc golf. And that may sound silly, but I've got a bunch of small children in my household. So you can imagine it takes a lot of money to do things like going to the skating rink or going bowling or play or going out to an arcade or something like that so in order to have fun with my kids free of charge we go to a park and we have discovered disc golf and we have discovered that we've enjoyed this and so i get to enjoy a blessed time with my kids by focusing on them and spending time with them as opposed to focusing on the fact that i can't afford to take them out to the movies at this particular moment in time All too often, we look at the problems and the negatives, and we miss out on the blessings. And so we can do this with our finances. We can look at our finances and see that they're not where they should be. We're not successful in following Dave Ramsey's plan. And so we get discouraged, and we can focus on that discourage and miss the fact that God has completely blessed us in this country. We can do the same things with our relationships. We can focus on the negative aspects of our relationships and forget that God has blessed us with a totally awesome person who has come into our lives. And we can do this with our physical problems as well. We can focus on our health problems and the shortcomings of our health and not enjoy the blessing of still being alive in order to spend time with our friends and loved ones before God calls us home. And when you find yourself focused on the negative things, you tend to either sulk in those negative things or they, or you begin to plead with God to correct those negative things. And this could lead to wrestling with God because you are more fearful over the negative things in your life than you are enjoying the blessings that he has given you. And this can result in a strain on your relationship with the Lord. We wrestle with God when we focus on our problems and not on the blessings he's given us. Secondly, we wrestle with God when we don't trust him. We look in verses 11 through 12, and Jacob prays, deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good and make make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for the multitude. Jacob here is praying, and he is aware of God's promise, He discusses God's promise in his prayer, 
and he prays for God to deliver him. And that's a legitimate prayer. It is a legitimate prayer when you are staring down the face of a 400-man army that you are afraid is going to try to kill you and your family to pray to God to say, you know what, you promised to bring me into this land, and I'm praying that you deliver me and you bring me into the land just like you promised. That is totally legitimate to pray that prayer. And Jacob is right on target praying to God in, the, in his time of distress. He knows God's promise of deliverance. He's prayed to God. But if you look at Jacob's actions, if you look at Jacob's actions, his faith is still floundering. We look in verses 22 through 24. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his 11 sons and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the break of day. And so Jacob is fearful of what Esau is going to do. And so he sends his entire company over the brook ahead of him. If something happens, maybe it'll happen to him and he can still get away. In fact, we see if we go back to uh, verses 7 and 8, we see that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels and the two bands and said, If Esau come to one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. And so Jacob here is making plans that if God doesn't deliver on his promise to protect him, then he is putting people out front that will take the brunt of Esau's wrath, and Jacob can still escape with his family. In fact, it gets very bad. We go to the beginning of chapter 33 and verses 1 through 2. And Jacob lifted up his eyes, and behold, Esau came, and with him 400 men. And he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids, And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. So here you have Jacob actually prioritizing which of his family members are most important to him and putting out the least important first, so that if the worst of the worst happens, then maybe Rachel and Joseph would be the two that would be saved with him as they escaped. And so... Jacob prays to God. He prays knowing God's promises, knowing God's power of deliverance. But he's not trusting God right now. His actions are not showing that he has faith in God. He is getting ready for a slaughter. He is getting ready for Esau to do battle with him and for him to lose that battle with Esau. And so even though Jacob is coming back into the promised land like God had told him to, even though Jacob is expecting to go home like God told him he would. Jacob is thinking that it's not going to happen because Esau's coming out with the 400 men. And so even though Jacob prays and Jacob says the right things, his actions are showing a lack of trust. He is preparing to be slaughtered. He is preparing for God to not protect him, to not bless him, and for Esau to have the victory. And so he's not showing a lot of trust here. He's not showing a lot of faith. Do you have faith? Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust the Lord to provide for you, to take care of you, to heal you? Do you trust the Lord to bring about emotional and spiritual healing in your life, physical healing in your life? Do you trust the Lord to receive you into heaven? And do your actions, do your actions show your faith in the Lord? Or do your actions show that you have no faith in the Lord? 
The Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 18, show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. God promises to be with us, to protect us, and to provide for us. Do you live in that assurance, or is your life marked by worry and stress? The interesting thing about faith is we can talk about it all day long, and we can talk about having faith, and we can talk about trusting the Lord, but ultimately our actions show what we truly believe. If I believe that there's an all-powerful, all-holy God, am I going to live a godless lifestyle, or am I going to live a life that I hope pleases God? If I live a life of ungodliness, a life of sin, a life of rebellion, a life of debauchery, then am I showing that I believe in God? No, I'm not. My lifestyle, in that case, would deny his existence. And so your lifestyle, your life choices show what you truly believe. And Jacob here, he knows the Lord, he's, he prays to the Lord, he recounts God's promises, but his actions are showing that he doesn't expect God to come through. Oftentimes we do the same thing. We speak. We talk about our faith. We talk about our trust in the Lord. But then when you look at our actions, they don't match up. We wrestle with God. We struggle with God when our actions don't match the faith that we speak of. We wrestle with God when we don't trust him. And here's what wrestling with God will get you. In verse 25, and when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. God here is going to work with Jacob to teach him faith and to teach Jacob faith. God took away the one thing that Jacob could have confidence in, and that's his physical abilities. He crippled Jacob. And this is just one example of where God takes away the temporal things of this world that man puts his faith in, in order to teach the man to have faith in God. You talk about Gideon. Gideon had a huge army of people that had gathered to go fight the enemy. And God told Gideon to keep sending people home until he was down to just a, a few hundred men who would be very outnumbered and highly overpowered by the enemy army. But God told Gideon that he was sending the army home because God wanted Gideon to know that it was going to be God who won that battle for Israel. You see the same thing with King David. King David went out to fight Goliath. Now, the conventional wisdom would be to give King David a bunch of armor, a bunch of weaponry, a sword, a shield. King David turned all that down, went out there with a slingshot and a few rocks because the message was that God was going to win the victory. And so the scripture is full of examples of where God takes away that in which man trusts so that man will learn to trust God. There's a, there's a story about how shepherds in the Old Testament times would break the legs of sheep to teach the sheep to trust the shepherd. And oftentimes, God has to do that with us. When you wrestle with God, don't be surprised if he breaks you down to where your only option is to trust in him. Other things come out of wrestling with God. We look at verse 28. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. In addition to breaking Jacob down to where he had to trust God, God actually blessed Jacob. Renamed him Israel, which means I have struggled with God and prevailed. 
He prevailed not in that he defeated God, but he prevailed in that he grew spiritually as a result. He became the father of the nation of Israel. His sons became the fathers of the tribes of Israel. And so Jacob, he turns to the Lord, his faith struggles in the Lord, and so he winds up wrestling with the Lord. And as a result, the Lord teaches him to trust him completely. And then the Lord blesses him by making him the father of the nation of Israel. And so Jacob comes out of this with a blessing. And when we turn to the Lord, he blesses us. He steers us to faith, and then he follows through on the blessings that he promised us. Good things come with our encounters to God. It's best that we interact with God out of faith. Trust the Lord. Trust him completely. Take him at his word and enjoy his blessings. And that works especially with salvation. Trust the Lord to receive you into heaven because he paid for your sins on the cross and then rose again to give you new life. Trust in that. Thank you. And may God bless you. You've been listening to The Point, the radio show that explores the Bible, studies its meaning, and affirms your faith with solid Bible teaching. The Point is a radio ministry of Grace Point Missionary Baptist Church, which meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., at the Early Chamber of Commerce, 104 East Industrial Drive in Early, just off Highway 377, next to Pate's Hardware. Mail to P.O. Box 3134, Early, Texas, 76803. May God bless you and thank you for listening.